Let's bow in prayer as we come into our study of God's word. So Lord, we bow before you. Uh, we have sung of your, many of your attributes in the songs that we sang today. And we have brought our request to you and now we come to your word and we ask that you will speak to us. To moms, to dads, to children. Lord, you're covering us all here by the power of your spirit, so speak to us through your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I love to tell the story of Johnny and Manina. Some of you may have heard me tell it a while ago. I, I want to tell it again at the beginning of this Mother's Day because it has a very strong point for us, leading us towards the text where I will be this morning. Johnny was a very eligible bachelor. He lived in the South Island Seas, and uh, he had a growing business traveling from island to island selling his wares, and everybody was sort of impressed, a young entrepreneurial fellow, little business, doing well. Everybody was, uh, you know, kind of the buzz was, who's Johnny going to marry? And the day finally came when Johnny got engaged, and everybody, well, who's Johnny engaged to? And word came out it was to a young gal. She was the oldest child of a poor farmer. Her name was Manina. Everybody was shocked when they heard Johnny was engaged to Manina because, well, Manina probably wouldn't be, have been the village's choice for Johnny. He was this great eligible bachelor, and, and even Manina's father sort of poke fun of her because she was less than, shall we say, beautiful. Uh, Johnny's, or uh, Manina's, Man Manina's dad used to say, um, you know, uh, in our culture we marry off the firstborn, that would be Manina, so our second daughter, she's never going to get married because nobody's going to marry Manina. But Manina was engaged to Johnny and people wondered what that, what that was all about. It's like, Johnny, Johnny got something up his sleeve here? I mean, what's going on? Kind of wondered about that. Now, in that particular culture, there were, uh, there were dowries that were paid. So when a young man wanted to be married to a young woman, he would uh, pay a certain dowry. And the common growing figure in that culture was uh, three cows for a really good gal. So the people of the village would say, Manina, what's Johnny going to give, like a cow's tail or something, you know? The day came for the bargaining between Johnny and Manina's dad. And they showed up early in the morning getting ready for the bargaining time over the dowry. And uh, Manina's dad had his buddy there who was going to be his coach. And the coach was saying, now, hey, hey, start high. You can always come down. Start high. So Manina's dad opened the bid by saying, all right, Johnny, I'll uh, start the bidding here. Um, I'm requesting three cows for Manina. And the whole village broke up laughing. No, no way Johnny's going to pay three cows for Manina. And Johnny says, well, waited for the laughter to die down. They said, well, three cows would be a very good price for Manina, but I think she is worth more. I'm going to pay seven cows for Manina. And the whole village was like... <gasps> Seven cows! No one had ever paid seven cows in a dowry before. 
Some really great gals had pulled five cows, but no gal had ever pulled seven cows. Counselor said to Anina's dad, take it, take it, take it. He received the dowry, and the next day, Johnny comes walking down the path towards the village, driving seven cows, and turns them over to Menina's dad. They then publicly had a little ceremony down by the river, the village edge there, and um, they had their their ceremony. They got married, and uh, Johnny then contracted with a friend of his, who was a a builder, to build them a little hut there by the river, and uh, they were going to go away for a little honeymoon, and when came back, the hut was to be ready, and so on, and you know, life... They were going to get started with their life together. And so after the ceremony and after contracting with his friend, Johnny said to everyone attending from the village, he said, now Manina and I are going to go away for a few months. And then we'll be back. So thanks for coming today, but see you later. And they got into a canoe and they paddled down the river and that was it. And the festivities for the day were over. Villagers went back to their life, and, you know, the weeks passed, and even the months passed. Finally, word came out, Johnny and Manina are back. Everybody was excited, you know, oh, that's great. Yeah, they got their new little hut down there by the river and so on. Manina's dad heard they were back, and he went down to see his daughter. And when he got down to the hut, as he was approaching the hut, Manina came walking out of the hut, and he looked up, and he saw her, and he... (gasps) He gasped. She was absolutely beautiful, gorgeous. She was graceful in the way she moved. And his dad couldn't believe it. And he turned to Johnny with anger and he said, she's not a seven cow, she's a ten cow woman. And he was angry with Johnny. He felt he had been chipped. He went stomping back into the village. It took him several days to calm down. But when he finally calmed down, his curiosity got the best of him. And he headed back for the little hut by the riverside there. And he saw Johnny and he said to Johnny, you know, he said, I was pretty upset with you and I felt gypped, but I just got to ask you, What happened? Menina's beautiful. And Johnny said, I always knew Menina was a seven cow woman, but until I paid seven cows for her, she didn't know it. The moral of the story, very simply, There are often deep beauties hidden within each of our lives, beyond physical beauty, that are often not seen by even our closest loved ones. But then occasionally someone will see it and draw it out. Isn't that a great story? I really like that story, and frankly, in our culture today, physical beauty is valued very highly. 
The other thing that is valued highly, nearly as high as physical beauty, is intelligence. One writer called physical beauty the gold coin of our culture, and he called intelligence the silver coin of our intelligence, of our culture. If you are lucky enough to have either the gold coin or the silver coin, you will have a blessed life. And if you are super lucky enough to have both coins, you got it made. That's our culture. I suppose someone should ask the question, beauty and intelligence? Compared to what? Compared to others? Because if you're not at the top of the pile, you feel a devaluing. You feel devalued as a person. And most people today in our culture, even if they know they're not exactly ugly, can't match up to what culture demands, the excessive beauty or the extreme intelligence. Our culture has stacked the deck wrongly. Now today is Mother's Day, and frankly, our culture has some things to say about what a perfect mother, wife, woman is all about. She, of course, has to be beautiful. She has to be a great mother, very industrious, probably a career on the side or whatever, or the central part of her life. She, uh, she, she has her act together. And of course, then she's considered to be a perfect ten. But everyone in this room and online with us today know there's no such thing as a perfect 10. Even those that are considered to be perfect 10s know in the depths of their heart they're not a perfect 10. Because there is no such thing as a perfect 10. Our culture has set us up to be devalued. Perhaps one of the greatest gifts we could give to moms today would be to remove such unfair expectations. It would be a Herculean task to do that. How could we possibly remove these cultural expectations? There is a portion of Scripture that is often held up as the standard for mothers and wives. It's a passage that's familiar to some of you, even to some of you single young men that consider it to be the shopping list for the wife that God will someday lead, to you, lead you to. It's the Proverbs 31 passage. And through the years, I've taught it from time to time. It's been, I look back, it's been like 11 years since I've taught it here at Calvary. And I've circled back to it again in light of what our culture says about beauty and intelligence and all of this. And I've grown further in my understanding of this passage. I want to go another round at it today. Proverbs 31. Listen as I read some of the verses, starting in verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. 
She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works together with eager hands. Uh, She is like the merchant ship, bringing her food from afar. She gets up early while it is dark. She provides food for her family, portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings and plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. And the passage continues. I believe what we have done with this passage is we have taken our cultural expectations of beauty and intelligence and we've superimposed it on this passage and we've used it even in churches to further devalue our moms and our women. Emily and I have talked about this passage through the years. I can't imagine that there's a woman anywhere that actually feels she could fulfill all of this in Proverbs 31. And so instead of it encouraging women to be a a passage that shows you Christian character and so on, it ends up devaluing our women, our mothers. That would just suggest to me we're taking the passage wrongly. So let's begin by looking at some of the context. Uh, For example, verse 1 of chapter 31 is an intriguing uh, verse. Verse 1 of this uh, chapter says, The sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. Now that's interesting. First question is, who is King Lemuel? We have absolutely no idea. Actually, that's not quite true. Several Jewish traditions say King Lemuel was actually Solomon. Solomon's the writer of Proverbs. You're aware of that? So he's written for 30 chapters as Solomon, and now all of a sudden, in chapter 31, he's going to develop a pen name. Why would he all of a sudden turn from being the writer Solomon into a pen name, King Lemuel? Well, I think the answer is pretty straightforward. If you had 700 wives and 300 concubines that you went home to every night, and you were going to write a poem about the perfect woman, wouldn't you write it under a pen name? I think so. In verse 10, though, he says something that needs some careful, careful consideration when it comes to context. A wife of noble character who can find. It's a question mark. It's a rhetorical question which expects a certain answer like nobody can find her. That's the point. She is the woman who does not exist. It's an unreal expectation to think you could actually live out all of these things. I want to get very pointed about that in the next five minutes in this context because I think there needs to be a newfound freedom here, not bondage. The text says, a wife of noble character. Who can possibly find her? She can't be found. That's the implication of the rhetorical question. It says she is worth far more than rubies. That is, you can't pay ten cows for this woman because she does not exist. 
Instead, this question really, really is posed to us at the end of verse 10. Who can find her? She does not exist. She is beyond being able to purchase her in terms of a dowry. She is beyond rubies. As I read through the rest of this passage, one thing becomes incredibly clear. Please get this. Beauty is not even mentioned. Oh, it did get mentioned once in verse 30. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's the only time beauty is mentioned in the passage. Yet we've taken our cultural expectations, we've superimposed them on this passage, and guys looking for a wife go through this passage and find all the characteristics they would like in a wife. And of course, beauty is very high on the list somewhere. And the devaluing just continues. Generation after generation. If we would reverse this for a moment and look at the male, the men, we would look at a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 3 that gives characteristics of a godly man, and we would move through that passage, and if we held a similar standard for the men, no man could possibly measure up to all aspects of that every day, moment by moment through the day. We all fail at some point. It's a little bit like when I was a teenager, I was a Boy Scout. And uh, those of you who are Boy Scouts know the 12 laws of the Boy Scouts. We are trustworthy, trustworthy loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. I still remember them for being a teenager. When I thought about it more carefully, I realized there's no such thing as a Boy Scout who does those 12 things all the time, all the time, all the time. We strive for them. Perhaps passages like 1 Timothy 3 about men and Proverbs 31 should be recontextualized as these are characteristics of which we strive for and how, how we treat people. This is who we're striving to become. We don't use it to say you're not that and so you're devalued. It is a huge difference. Oh, I really need to add in here that this passage is an acrostic. This is significant. Starting in verse 10, if you looked at this in the Hebrew Bible, if you knew just a little bit of Hebrew, and you knew the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Ewald, Zion, so on, right on through, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. If you start in verse 10 and go through verse 31, guess what? There's 22 verses. Each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This was done as a memory aid. So people could memorize this list. What is the point? Why would Lemuel, King Lemuel, write a list, make an acrostic of it? Because it's the final chapter of the book of Proverbs. And what he is saying is, if you took everything about wisdom in this book and you put it in a flesh and blood, a real woman, here's what she would look like. Somebody said, well, why didn't you make it a man? Because uh, wisdom in the Hebrew language is a female noun. So King Lemuel, who said in verse 1, the sayings of King Lemuel, his mother taught him. 
these are the way godly women who are growing in wisdom begin to look as they walk with the Lord. That's the context of Proverbs 31. There are characteristics which a woman strives for. They show how she treats people that are important to her. This really is the key to the passage. If wisdom could be consistently and perfectly applied in a woman's life, this is what she would look like. But the perfect woman does not exist any more than the perfect man exists. Gentlemen, in the next few moments, I want to talk to you. I mean, you can listen if you would like. It is fine. I know you're going to listen. Guys, you've got you to stretch your imagination. I know this is going to be tough, but you've got to go 100 years into the future. And this guy walks into a shop, a brain store. He's been working hard, and he wants a brain transplant because he thinks he's worn his brain out. Okay, it's 100 years in the future, so they can do things we can't do now. So he goes into this brain store, and there's the clerk behind the counter, and up there on the shelves behind the clerk and the counter are these shelves filled with jars that have human brains in them. This is not a sci-fi movie now. It's just, you know, it's a story. Have fun, okay? Just relax. And so the guy walks in there, and he says to the clerk, Hi, how you doing? He says, I'm in a market for a new brain. The clerk says, Well, you've come to the right place. We sell brains here. Okay. Well, I'd like to get a brain. How much are they? Well, it depends. Do you want a male brain or a female brain? What? Do you want a male brain or a female brain? So the, the guy's saying, like, well, is there a price difference? Yes, there's a big price difference. If you want to buy a male brain, it costs $100,000. I'm messing up the story. Come on, Dan. Sunday morning, wake up here. If you want to buy a male brain, it's $300,000, a lot of money. Now, the $300,000 means you can take it to the hospital. Of course, they'll, they'll plant it in you, and they'll do the thing. You know, that's all part of the $300,000. So if you want a male brain, it's $300,000. Well, how much is a female brain? $300,000 is a lot. Female brain's $100,000. Only one-third the cost is kind of tempting. And so the guy says to the clerk, well, how come the female brain's so much cheaper than the male brain? And the clerk says, because the male brain is rarely used, the female brain was used consistently. Are you with me? You okay? (laughs) Guys, it is time to use your brain. Okay? Now, Now, let's just think this through for a moment. If guys need to wake up and use their brain... Why would you think there is a 10 when we all know that there's no such thing as a 10? Let's let's use our brains here. Um, Maybe it's time to give women a break on this issue and stop living out cultural expectations that are not biblical expectations. Okay? See that? Um... And by the way, even if there was such a thing as a 10, why do you think you could get a 10? Have you done any self-assessment lately?
if there was such a thing as a ten, well, let, let's say it this way. If you think you found a 10, in reality what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for disappointment at some point in life. Because there's no such thing as a 10. You're not looking at this thing realistically. You think you are, but you're not. What I would like to do now is move through this passage, reading it with brief comment. I would like to help us understand a more complete understanding of what wisdom looks like when it's in a person's life. All the stuff of Proverbs 1 through 30, if we were living it out on a daily basis and we were living in godly wisdom, here's the kind of people we would look like in our culture. We would be very countercultural. Starting in verse 13, I would notice that the woman is a very hard worker. She doesn't slough. Slough is part of culture. It's not part of wisdom, godly wisdom. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ship bringing her food from far away. I mean, she'll go to the ends of the earth, whatever it takes. She'll get up while it's still dark. Very early in the morning, she provides food for her family and even portions for her servant girls. So she takes care of her family and her servants. Look at verse 17. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. You could go back (coughs) into the book of Proverbs and assign numerous proverbs that show you people who are industrious and working hard, God will help them to prosper. That's what wisdom looks like when we live it out. She's a hard worker. Would you notice that she's also very entrepreneurial? Look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings, then of whatever she earned from the field, and she'll plant a vineyard. Look at verse 18, she sees that her trading is profitable and her light does not go out at night. So earlier she got up early before it was light and now she's staying up past dark. Very entrepreneurial, looking for a way to make a little bit to help. Consider also that uh, she prepares for the future. Look at verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. She knows that there will be people that come her way that need help. So whatever she does for her family, she, does, she tucks a little away so she has some to help the poor. You can find Proverbs on that. Um, verse 21, when it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. I mean, they're well clothed, they're taken care of. How often does it snow in Israel? Not very often. That's the point. She's ready for even the extremes. I mean, she is prepared for the future, whatever it holds. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. So her relationship with her husband is even providing respect. He's a respected individual in the community because of her support and connection and so on. 
And verse 24, she makes uh, fine linens, sells them, supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and with dignity. She laughs at the days to come. Bring it on. We're ready. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Notice further provisions for her household, verse 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. You can directly find Proverbs related to that. She's not lazy. Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed. They praise her. Her husband also praises her. She is well recognized for taking good care of them and loving them. Would you notice in verse 29, she is a leader. Many women do noble things, but you, this woman who is living by wisdom, she surpasses all of them. Notice her walk with God in verse 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty will fade, it's fleeting with age. But a woman who fears the Lord, who fears the Lord, walks in the light of the fear of the Lord, she is to be praised, and you can certainly chase that theme, fear of the Lord, through the book of Proverbs. I suppose it might be helpful to clarify a couple of things. Number one, again, in terms of context, this passage is written in very much of what was a world dominated by males. How do you think they're going to take a woman who is living in godly wisdom? who is entrepreneurial, hardworking. This kind of woman's going to threaten guys. That's interesting to look at that. Second of all, I would say there's a biblical point to be made, and that is the, the Bible does not stifle women. When women live in godliness and wisdom of God, they flourish. And their testimony is incredible. It is beautiful. Moms, today I challenge you to walk with the Lord. And absolutely let Him make you that incredibly wonderful, beautiful person you're capable of becoming. We're not talking about the tens of our culture. We're talking about being a woman who fears God. This is biblical wisdom. As we close today, it's probably worthwhile looking one more time at verse 28 in particular. Verse 28 and 29, today may this be the call to the rest of us. Her children arise and call her blessed. Praise her. She's on track with God. She loves the Lord. She's trying to submit to him. She's growing in godly wisdom year by year. Wow, her kids see it. Her husband also sees it and he praises her for it. So, guys, let the praises ring today. Encourage this woman who is following God. Doing her best to do that. There's a saying that says, behind every good man is a good woman. Here, but try this one on. Behind every good woman is a proud husband and cheering kids. So cheer on those moms today and cheer on those wives today. 
And may today we have experienced just a little bit of freedom from the devaluing cultural expectations in which we live. The Word of God is freeing in regards to this. It is a beautiful thing. Moms, this is your day to be blessed, to be praised. Culture is very messed up with its expectations. But today, may the key people of your life bless you. May they praise you. May they be thankful to God for you. And may you keep growing in godly wisdom year by year. Let every one of us in this room, moms or otherwise, let every one of us on this line today, let us fully acknowledge the sovereignty of our God, that the moms that we have, he placed them in our family knowing they're exactly what we needed. And they help us follow him. Today, if you're with us online or uh, here in the auditorium, and you do not know the Lord of which we speak, he was born to this earth 2,000 years ago, and his name is Jesus. And he loved us so much that he came into this world to be punished for your sin and mine so that we could be made right with God and be with him forever. It is the greatest gift of all. And we urge you that if you have never come to a place in your spiritual pilgrimage where you've trusted him for salvation, we would ask you to consider making that transaction today. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. I know my sin keeps me out of heaven, but your son Jesus died for my sin. That, just tell him that in your own words. Recognize that Jesus was punished for your sins so it could be forgiven and you could be with him forever. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Wise Father, uh, you put marriage and family together. And motherhood was certainly a very important part of this concept. We recognize your wisdom today in it. And we submit to that, and we want to flee from the cultural expectations in which we live. Show us your path. The thing our culture goes for, such women do not even exist. The Father, in your love and in your grace and mercy, you have placed exactly the women we need in our lives, as mothers, as wives, as sisters, and so on. And may we respect you and your plan and respect them and praise them. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.